0: Thank you so much for tuning in to the Live to 110 podcast. My name is Wendy Myers and I am your host. You can find my website at live to 110com That's L I V E T O 110.com. And you can find this video podcast on the YouTube channel Wendy Live to 110. Today we are having my very good friend Morley Robbins on the show. Today we are going to be talking about the issues surrounding copper dysregulation, which is a simultaneous copper deficiency and copper toxicity. It's a very confusing subject that I wanted to shed light on for my clients and for uh, anyone who has no idea about this health issue, because it absolutely is the defining underlying cause of health issues today in America uh, and around the world as well. And we're going to be talking about uh, what it is, what is copper deficiency, what is copper uh, toxicity, and how to correct these issues and how to diagnose them, so to speak. My sincerest apologies, we were not able to do a video podcast today. Uh, Marley and I actually tried to record this podcast last week and had so many technical difficulties we couldn't do it. But yet again today we had more technical difficulties where the audio worked but the video would not. So just audio today, I hope you enjoy it. We had a lot to talk about This is a two-hour podcast, so I'm splitting it up into parts one and two so I don't melt your brains (laughs) because it's a very, very intense podcast, chock full of information. So this is part one of the podcast and look forward next week to part two of copper dysregulation. I know you can't wait. First, we have to do the disclaimer. Please keep in mind that this program is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease or health condition. And is not a substitute for professional medical advice. Please consult your healthcare practitioner before engaging in any treatment or uh, option or supplementation that we suggest today on the show. For any of you guys that love supplements as much as I do, I have a new supplement that I'm using that I absolutely love. It's called ashwagandha, it's an Ayurvedic herb um, that it's amazing to aid sleep. Um, I'm taking it now to assist in sleep. And, and also for uh, adrenal health as well. I think it's excellent for anyone with adrenal fatigue to really calm the body down, really calm down the nervous system and assist sleep and to aid in healing the adrenal glands. So it's something that I'm recommending to all my clients. Uh, you can find it in the Live to 110 store at store.liveto110.com. And um, I have an, an organic form um, that I'm recommending. Uh, there's lots of herbs out there, um, but I... Really think everyone, just like their food, should be taking organic food-based supplements as well, and this is one of the ones that I highly recommend if you're stressed out, have adrenal fatigue, or want some help sleeping. Our guest today is Morley Robbins, also known as Magnesium Man, and he's the founder of the Magnesium Advocacy Group on Facebook. His website is gotmag.org. Um, he has a mainstream medical industry background. Morley was a hospital executive and consultant for 32 years, um, but left to become a wellness coach and health practitioner. Um, he currently does hair mineral analysis, a program very similar to mineral power. Mr. Robbins has completed the well, well Coaches Training Certification as well as the Institute for Integrative Nutrition Health Coaching program, the one that I went to as well. Mr. Robbins received a BA in biology from Denison University in Ohio and holds an MBA from George Washington University in healthcare administration. Morley is an expert on minerals and uses hair mineral analysis in his health coaching practice. 21 books and 1,200 articles later on magnesium and magnesium deficiency and on other minerals as well, Morley has come to realize that magnesium plays a huge role in all metabolic systems and is therefore a contributing factor in nearly all disease. Um, He's also very, very interested in copper dysregulation as well, something that I've uh, formerly called copper toxicity. It's more complex than that. Uh, We're going to be talking about copper dysregulation, um, which is another passion of Morley's as well, um, where it's a simultaneous uh, copper deficiency as well as copper toxicity. Those two things can happen at the same exact time. And these two issues, magnesium deficiency and copper dysregulation issues, are at the root cause of all disease. So that's why we're talking about it today on the show. Morley, thank you so much for being on the show.
1: Hey, glad to be here. How are you doing? Hope you had a lovely... uh... Christmas holiday and all that good stuff
0: yes I did it was wonderful it's very relaxing I took some needed time off I really hadn't had a break in about two and a half years <laughs> so I've been going 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 so I took a week off and I did not look at my computer and it was very rejuvenating
1: <laughs> What is that word you used break you took a break I took a,
0: a break I know <laughs> it's very uh, you know very good for my adrenals uh, bad for everyone else learning about health. No, no usually kidding. I just don't I just can't stop I just I just enjoy what I do, so it's a byproduct of that uh but Morley, why not, let's talk about today about copper toxicity, uh copper dysregulation. So, I know you hate the word copper toxicity.
1: yeah, I'm about to freak out
0: <laughs> yeah, so it, we're going to talk today about copper dysregulation. Um, but first, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and how you became a health coach?
1: I backed into it. Um, This wasn't what I thought I would be doing when I grew up, but um, I affectionately refer to myself as a pre-med retread, and when I was in college, I had designs of becoming a doctor, and my organic chemistry professor made sure that was never going to happen. I thanked him many times since that fateful process, but I went into the hospital field, worked there for 32 years, and... Developed a frozen shoulder, which forced me into the alternative healing world, the world of natural healing, and I went kicking and screaming, and realized that that was my true calling, and have become a wellness coach, and I um, really quite unexpectedly have become an expert on minerals, uh, and the two, two that I have the greatest fascination with are magnesium and copper. And in part, it's just because of how important they are in the body. It also just happens to be the, the two minerals that my mentor, Rick Malter, who I think the world of, uh, tends to focus on as well. But when you, when you begin to dig into the weeds of why everyone's sick, about 99% of the reason is they don't have enough magnesium or they don't have the right bioavailability of their copper. And it's no more complicated than that.
0: And, yeah, and listeners, if you're interested, we did a previous show on uh, how to prevent a heart attack with magnesium, a previous podcast. I definitely recommend checking that out. But, of course, there's lots more information about magnesium beyond just preventing a heart attack. So I recommend giving that a listen to. You know, and personally, I agree with you. I think copper dysregulation is one of our top health crises. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what copper dysregulation is and how it happens? You know, it's something that's very, very confusing to a lot of my clients and I think to a lot of people out there.
1: Yeah, no, it, I think it's a, an incredibly uh, confusing issue, in, in part because of the very different natures of the two minerals that we just talked about. When people have a magnesium deficiency, it's mathematical. They're down, they need to restore it. You add magnesium, and voila, they're they're back in the game. Copper doesn't work that way. Uh, it has profound relationships with uh, a lot of different minerals, you know certainly zinc, chromium, manganese, sulfur, uh, and where magnesium uh, repletion, Restoring the magnesium status is a mathematical process uh, where it's just simple arithmetic. Trying to deal with copper dysregulation is more like solving a quadratic equation. It's really complicated. And in part, it's complicated by the fact that people have been brainwashed over the last 30 years to think of copper as being a bad guy we got to get rid of it, and it's toxic, and get it out of your body, and that's all witchcraft that's designed to drive copper deficiency, which is really what's at the core of a lot of people's problems. I'm sure that you've got uh, clients and, and followers who have fibromyalgia, or they have Lyme disease, or they have um, certainly thyroid issues, Hashimoto's, and all sorts of things. Uh, rheumatoid arthritis uh, people who probably have experienced or someone in their family has experienced an aneurysm all of these conditions have a common origin copper dysregulation uh, and it's, it's really staggering when you begin to realize that that, that one mineral has that kind of impact and it's through 30 different cupro enzymes cupro is their derivation of copper, um, and it's those thirty enzymes that, when they go out, begin to affect thousands and thousands of other enzymes. Um, I think where there's a lot of confusion is that uh, copper has become so ubiquitous in our environment. Uh, the The pipes that bring water into our home and into our buildings is copper pipes where 100 years ago, they were all um, zinc pipes, oddly enough. But that all changed after the First World War and then really accelerated after the Second World War. So suddenly copper copper pipes, and when you have um, the type of water that we have from our treatment, it causes copper to leach out of that pipe and into the water. Um, copper is a known antifungal agent. Well, commercial... Uh, growers use copper sulfate and they spray it on all produce uh, to make sure that there isn't any increased amount of fungus as it's moving the 1,500 miles from one side of the country to the other. So we're exposed to a lot of copper that way. Um, Also, we've got things like a lot of the the, uh, processes for birth control tie back to copper. Birth control pills and a copper IUD has a profound impact on a woman's body use of antibiotics are profoundly influential in disrupting copper regulation, uh, in large part because copper plays a key role in um, the effectiveness of antibiotics. And it has to do with its ability to disrupt or support iron metabolism, depending upon what, what they're trying to do with the bacteria that they're trying to go after. So it's, it, it's very pervasive, and what is really key to the whole process is to understand that um, what's very important for copper is that it be attached to its transport protein, which is called ceruloplasmin. ceruloplasm is a fancy word, really means uh, it's French for blue blood. but what it what its role is in the body is to make sure, that the copper and the iron are being properly transported, so that it doesn't cause oxidation. So I'm sure a lot of your your uh, listeners and followers are familiar with the story of Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. Doctor Jekyll was this famous physician in France, in excuse me in London, who was a really gifted doctor and quite the uh, quite the gentleman. But he always wore a cape. Well, the interesting thing about the scientific symbol for seroplasm are the initials capital C, little p. So I call it the cape. So when copper is wearing the cape, it's just this incredibly important mineral that, if, that in, enhances and activates some very important enzymes in the body. Okay. But just like Mr. Hyde, when Dr. Jekyll took off his cape, he became a serial killer Well, copper without its cape is a very destructive element, and it's one of the most oxidizing elements in the body, um, maybe second only to iron or fluoride and a few other elements. But copper without its transport protein is violently disruptive. And what's fascinating is that we didn't know this, or that, that no one really took the time to explain all this out, that, that copper is actually pretty darn important inside the body, and it and it doesn't really work right unless it's attached to that transport protein, ceruloplasm. Once you begin to understand that, a lot of tumblers fall into place. You say, wow, maybe copper is a pretty important mineral. But most of the programming in articles, which there are scores and scores and scores of articles about copper the spin on most of those articles is oh wooga wooga copper's bad get rid of it try to try to detox and it's just wrong it's absolutely wrong
0: yeah and that's why it's taken out of a, a lot of the higher end supplement companies have taken it out of the multivitamins
1: well sure because actually you know the, the the listeners need to understand. I'm a conspiracist. I absolutely believe there's a, a an entity or a group of entities that are trying to take us out. So it's just, they can just put up with my, my weird ways, but but copper is the target. Yeah. When you take copper out of the human body, it falls apart. And what does it need? It needs all sorts of medication to support its functioning. Yeah. And and copper is behind blood high blood pressure because it. It tends to collect on estrogen receptors in the kidney. And when it gets there, it starts to wreak all sorts of havoc with electrolytes on the kidneys, which is a really bad place to be, by the way. And that is the, you know, 98% of all hypertension is called idiopathic. 98%. What that really means is they have no idea what causes it. The reason why they don't know what causes it is because they don't want to understand the mineral dimension of it. And copper will cause a loss of electrolytes because of its nature. And that's what is behind things like hypertension and heart disease. And, you know, we can go on, go on down the line. But, but the, um, the key here is, and this is where it gets really kind of wild and woolly, is, okay, so if ceruloplasm is so important, what do we need to do in order to have healthy ceruloplasm? Well, the first thing you got to have in order for ceruloplasm to be made in the liver is good, healthy sources of retinol, which is the animal-based form of vitamin A. You think, well, okay, that's no big deal. Well it actually it is a big deal because retinol's antagonist in the, in the body is calcitriol otherwise known as vitamin D when in fact it's not a vitamin it's actually a hormone and people are drinking and, and swallowing vitamin D like it's candy mm-hmm. and they have no idea that when they're doing that when they're taking that 1000 3000 5000 I was talking to a client the other day who took 50000 units a day of vitamin D, Ugh. she's a metabolic train wreck, had no idea that it was destroying the vitamin A in her liver, which then creates copper dysregulation. So a really bad thing to do, if you're, if you're worried about copper and copper dysregulation, the last thing you want to be doing is be downing a bunch of vitamin D without knowing what your overall profile is. And if you don't know both your storage and active hormone D levels, you should not be getting anywhere near that supplement. But that's only one element that causes disruption of of copper. Another is when we're under a lot of stress, and who isn't, but when we're under a lot of stress, it triggers the production of a key stress hormone, comes out of the pituitary, it's called ACTH, adrenocorticotropin hormone, and it triggers the production of cortisol and aldosterone and all sorts of stress responses. Well, ACTH will stop the production of ceruloplasm in the liver and in the brain. Now, what's interesting is that ACTH rides on a seesaw with a very important mineral called magnesium. So that when magnesium is high, ACTH will be low. But the but the reverse of that is true as well. <clears throat> magnesium gets low because of all sorts of stress, ACTH will build. So as we get more and more stressed out, it causes a breakdown <clears throat> in the production of seroplasm which is the very mechanism to create copper dysregulation. Because when ceruloplasm stops being made, then we have high levels of unbound copper, unbound to ceruloplasm, and we have low levels of bound copper at the very same time. So that once that cape comes off, once that cape isn't being made, copper goes rogue. And that's the very mechanism. So you want to deal with your stress. You want to be very thoughtful about how you supplement the fat-soluble vitamins. You never isolate them. You take them in combo at least, A with D, E with K, but never just one by itself. A third thing that you want to avoid is high-fructose corn syrup. Because what high fructose corn syrup is designed to do is cause copper deficiency in the liver and at the same time cause cop, uh, iron toxicity. And it does it perfectly. It does it flawlessly. And that's a very bad combination because it will, you, you need copper in order to make ceruloplasm. And that's one of the many catch 22s in the body. So the very mineral that you need to properly bind up is actually needed in order to make the protein that that allows that to happen. And the challenge is high fructose corn syrup is pervasive throughout the food industry. It's everywhere. And most people wouldn't even stop to think about it. But that uh, that sweetener is made in, in a very specific way and that's the very biochemical mechanism that results at least the mineral impact but high fructose corn syrup is very bad, very toxic to the liver Uh, it's in fact what's behind all fatty liver, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease but it will destroy the production of seroloplasm and then a fourth known element is ascorbic acid everyone's been trained think that vitamin C and ascorbic acid are one and the same. They're not. The, you know, the vitamin C molecule is like a car. It's a shell with four wheels, a steering wheel, and an engine. And that's pretty much the design of a car, and that's pretty much the design of, of the vitamin C molecule. Ascorbic acid, on the other hand, is the shell of the car and no moving parts. The real downside, or the the, the important part about the vitamin C molecule is that that engine is actually an enzyme called tyrosinase, and that spark plug that runs that engine is copper. And it turns out that that very enzyme, tyrosinase, is very important in helping the body to metabolize copper. Ascorbic acid, on the other hand, causes copper to separate from ceruloplasm. Isn't that interesting? Wow. So it's very, very disruptive. And I cannot account for the work of Linus Pauling, who was taking 10 and 15 and 20,000 milligrams of of ascorbic acid. It it makes absolutely no sense at all. And the research is very clear that it's a very disruptive um, element and for those of your listeners who think that Albert Sven Gorgi got the Nobel Prize for discovering ascorbic acid that is absolutely laughable when in fact he got it for discovering the vitamin C molecule and what we're engaged in is revisionist history to try to get people to think that ascorbic acid is the is the active agent when in fact it's a lot of different moving parts.
0: Yeah, and I think that listeners have to be very careful when they're reading studies or reading the work of certain physicians that are using high dose ascorbic acid for therapeutic uses and while they may get one effect uh, like one detoxification effect or whatever therapy they're using it for there is a price to pay on the other on the other side with the copper dysregulation that is may not be be being monitored or be aware of but the fact is this synthetic molecule is not going to produce miraculous health in a body. It might produce a short-term health benefit right. that's shown in a study, but not an overall long-term production of health. That's my opinion. And that's why I don't, no longer use it on my my healing program, Mineral Power.
1: That's great. No, I totally agree. For those who want to drill a little deeper, you might uh, enjoy Robert Thompson's book, The Calcium Lie. And I believe he has a chapter devoted to the vitamin C molecule. It's, it's quite interesting reading. Um, what i think what the what the listeners and viewers need to understand is that in the world of allopathic medicine there are three primary areas of focus one is on the thyroid another's on calcium excuse me and the third is on iron it's really what they that's what they really key in on from a from a mineral and metabolic standpoint Well, isn't that interesting? Because when you focus on the thyroid and medicate on the thyroid, you shut down the adrenal glands. And that's the stress response in the human body is adrenal glands. When you focus on calcium and start uh, hyper-supplementing with uh, calcium and vitamin D, which raises calcium, you shut down magnesium metabolism. It's a very bad thing. And when you focus on iron, and there's complete confusion about the interrelated mechanisms of iron and copper metabolism, but when you focus on iron, it shuts down copper metabolism, It's just one of the quirks of the human body. And so the very three things that the traditional conventional doctors focus on create clients for life. Because once you've got control of someone's thyroid, and you're focusing on calcium and iron, the person can never get back to metabolic balance. It's impossible, and I think that's where a lot of the, a lot of the the, uh, the confusion is as well, because it turns out that the adrenal glands are where 95 percent of the body's store of whole food vitamin C is. What it's what's important to understand is that. The thyroid makes one hormone a day, and it's a very important one. I'm not disputing that at all. The adrenal glands make 50 hormones a day, not just, the, not just cortisol. There are a whole bunch of hormones that, that need to be made, and all you've got to do is study steroid hormone synthesis in your jaw job, And all that's being made inside the adrenal glands, and it's being made with the support of the liver as well. And if what's what's really key is to understand that the um, cytochrome p four fifty family of enzymes, which is what converts the steroid hormones from from one spectrum to the other, well they're copper dependent and if you don't have bioavailable copper, your hormones don't work or don't they they can't morph from one to the other and so then suddenly people are in the situation where they need bioidentical hormones why because they have mineral disruption you know our, our great-grandparents didn't have this insanity yeah. they didn't have all didn't have all these you know medications that they're putting the creams and stuff like that and it's just you know we've been conditioned to believe that that's normal what's well, not you know, it's, it's not
0: hard. and that's what i had told many of my clients that uh, start to work with me is they it's really difficult for them to believe that they don't need thyroid medication for life and they don't need bioidentical hormones the minute they turn menopausal because they've been conditioned to think and trained to think by the mainstream media that once you start taking thyroid medication, you need it for life. No, BS. You need mineral supplementation, balancing your minerals, detoxification, etc. to correct your body's function. And then it works.
1: That's right. we We've had one client who had their thyroid taken out focused on rebuilding their body and their thyroid tissue came back. It's like, wow. oh my God, it was you talk about bizarre. Because she's she was on thyroid medication and, and had to basically stop it. Cause it was causing too much disruption. It was it was an amazing process. So yeah, totally totally agree with that. Um but I think the, the challenge is getting people to accept that the body will in fact rebuild itself and um, there's so much conditioning out there that we're designed to fail and we're falling apart and you're getting old. I had a client just the other day, he went to the doctor for some issue, and, and the first thing out of the doctor's mouth was, what do you expect? You're getting older. <laughs> no, no desire to understand what the mechanism was, no concern about the metabolism and was it being properly fed. It was, well, what do you expect? You're getting older. And it's just, it's a very sad uh, state that we find ourselves in so go ahead
0: yeah so what percentage of your client base would you say have copper dysregulation
1: I would bet it's probably in the 90% range I bet there are very few who don't have some kind of copper dysregulation and the reason why I say that is I think about people who have um, histamine intolerance, sensitivity to foods and chemicals and things like that think about people who have um, cholesterol issues. Well, cholesterol hyper, hypercholesterolemia is caused by copper deficiency. You know who knew? Uh, and that was proven in 1972 by Leslie Clovez, <clears throat> and was further validated in 22 labs a- around the world. And then suddenly, Big Pharma was faced with a very vexing decision: five cents worth of copper, or five dollars worth of statin. You know where that came out? Yeah. Um, but hypercholesterolemia, um, the, the prevalence of neurotransmitter issues, people with sugar cravings—well, uh, that's a dopamine deficiency. Well, you can't get dopamine unless you have tyrosine and copper and an enzyme to support it. So, um, a lot of a lot of um, emotional dynamics around that. Um, people who have temperature dysregulation, people, the number of people that, that I work with who have cold hands and cold feet is clearly in the 90% range or more. And there's a particular enzyme that it's responsible for thermal regulation in the peripheral extremities. And it's a very cool enzyme. Nickname is PAM. P-A-M stands for uh, glycine. Alpha-amidating monooxygenase. I just love that enzyme, <laughs> and it's copper-dependent. Well, it's a it's a very sophisticated enzyme in the hypothalamus, and the copper is really important for the hypothalamus. Well, I think a lot of people are having a lot of problems with thermal regulation, which also affects the um, the thyroid. Turns out that the process to turn iodide into iodine which makes it the active form requires copper who knew so uh, my theory is that most of the thyroid dysfunction in this country is from a lack of copper and that would be easily two thirds of America is having thyroid issues Um, so I I think it's a lot more pervasive than people realize the only reason why they're not aware of it is that there's no literature to support it well there's no literature to support that it's deficiency of the problem there's a gale wind of literature to say that it's toxic and you've got to get rid of it and and in fact what they're now finding is that the issues of alzheimer's parkinson's lou gehrig's disease multiple sclerosis all of these very vexing neurodegenerative conditions are at the very origin of that is copper dysregulation and almost without exception, copper deficiency. And copper deficiency will lead to an iron problem. And when iron gets out of whack, a lot of bad things happen. So I think it's, it's far more pervasive than people realize. It's just it's, um, there's no easy reference point for people right now to connect their ailment to a copper issue.
0: Well, you, yeah, sure. yeah, you touched on this a little bit, um, but well, let's talk about the copper conundrum because I think this is the most confusing thing for most people, is how can one be copper toxic and copper deficient at the same time?
1: Uh, it goes back to uh, the, the transport protein, ceruloplasm, and what makes copper bioavailable is being, it, it takes six, copper ions to make the ceruloplasm molecule functioning and that's what enables it to then carry iron and make sure that iron doesn't cause oxidative problems in the in the body and inside the cell and when ceruloplasm isn't being made properly because of the stresses that we talked about you know the, the metabolic stress of too much D, the metabolic stress of ascorbic acid or high fructose corn syrup, or just the lack of magnesium, which triggers the increase of ACTH, those events will prevent ceruloplasm. And when copper can't get access to ceruloplasm, it goes rogue. And so then you've got the dual state of too little bound copper and too much unbound copper at the same time all because of a lack of ceruloplasmin and so it's it's just a a quirk of that mineral that it requires the um the presence of its protein in order to be useful to the body and if it's not around it is highly toxic to the body
0: yeah, I, I read that the copper toxicity, the, this excess copper in the body is stored in the reproductive organs, the uterus, the gonads. Um, it's stored in the, the heart and the liver and the brain.
1: Well, it gets stored just about everywhere. <clears throat> what's What's important, and this gets into a little bit of of um, metabolic esoterica, but I'm sure people have heard of the mitochondria. Mitochondria, the little furnace, it's the energy furnace of the, of the cell. Well, oxygen is a good thing, but oxygen can go wrong. And it can, you know, oxygen causes rust, right? So inside the cell, it causes um, reduced oxidation species. Or we know them as free radicals, Okay. I'm sure you've heard of them. I'm sure your, your clients have heard of them. Well, the, the key is, how does that happen? What, what, what's, what's taking place? Well, oxygen becomes what's called superoxide because of a non-functioning enzyme called NADPH oxidase. It turns out it's copper-dependent. So if copper is not present the oxygen will become superoxide. And then you say, well, okay, all right, so I got some superoxide. Not to worry. <clears throat> I'll just use some superoxide dismutase, SOD. Well, there's three types of SOD. There's SOD1, which requires copper and zinc. There's SOD2, which, and that SOD1 plays around inside the cell. SOD2 is manganese-dependent, and it plays inside the mitochondria. And then SOD3 is extracellular SOD, and that also is copper-dependent. So the SOD is supposed to come and eliminate the superoxide. But if that can't happen, if there's not enough superoxide dismutase, as there often is in a body that's under stress, it's losing its minerals, we're losing the bioavailability of its minerals, the superoxide becomes hydrogen peroxide. And you say, relax, I've got catalase. And catalase is what's going to turn that hydrogen peroxide into water and oxygen. So that the, the cell can use that for other reactions. Well catalase is iron-dependent. And if the iron isn't bioavailable for lack of copper, it becomes a really bad thing. It becomes a hydroxyl radical. And so, copper is pretty darn important to prevent free radicals. And so that, that whole dimension of understanding at a metabolic level inside the mitochondria if copper's not there there's a lot of bad stuff that happens and the free radicals will basically bring the cell to death because it wears it out because it's got to it's got to neutralize that and if it can't neutralize it it will die and and that's the mechanism behind a lot of these neurodegenerative diseases like alzheimer's and parkinson's and multiple sclerosis and it's it's a very subtle dimension, but it's because of copper not being properly bound to its protein because of stress and stressors. And it's it's huge. It's absolutely huge.
0: Yeah, that was a very detailed, uh, intricate, yet simple uh, explanation. It was really beautiful. Um, I hope it helped. Yeah, so why don't we first go into detail about copper deficiency specifically? You listed a lot of uh, health conditions and things of that nature in general, but what are the specific symptoms and health conditions related only to copper deficiency?
1: Well, um, people who have energy problems, you know, fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, adrenal fatigue, um the, the, the likely culprit is a key enzyme that's part of the, the um, electron transport chain, which is what's taking place inside those energy furnaces, the mitochondria. And the enzyme is called cytochrome C oxidase. And cytochrome C oxidase, in fact, it, is, it requires c- copper to be present uh, is what transfers electrons at a key step in the process to oxygen so that it can go off and become water. It's a very important step. And if that does not happen, ATP cannot be made inside the cell. So if the, if the copper is not available for that enzyme, the energy production will go south. So cytochrome C oxidase is one of the granddaddy enzymes in the body And it's particularly important for energy production. And then, of course, the ATP won't work unless magnesium is attached to it. And that's what really brings it to life is is the magnesium. So ATP is dependent upon both copper and magnesium in order to uh, be available for for the body. Another biggie is um, we are held together by tissue. Our bones are held together by ligaments and tendons, Uh, and all of that is made possible by an enzyme called lysyl oxidase. Again, copper dependent. Well, if lysyl oxidase isn't around, hearts begin to enlarge, like enlarged heart, congestive heart failure. I'm sure people have heard of that. Aneurysms, blood vessels, need both collagen and elastin which are made possible by lysyl oxidase in order to work properly. So if someone has a stroke, you know, that's caused by a lack of lysyl oxidase. So uh, that's a very important um, mechanism. Another uh, biggie that I mentioned before, like, like Pam, the, the energy regulation at the extremities is very important. And the hypothalamus is constantly monitoring the environment and the body to say, is everything okay? Well, if it doesn't have the copper, it can't properly regulate temperature uh, in the extremities, which becomes a very big issue for for people and a lot of of, um, discomfort as a result of that. Um, Another another biggie is, uh, I alluded to it earlier, but a key step in the production of neurotransmitters is to take tyrosine plus a key enzyme called dopamine beta-monooxygenase, which requires copper, and that turns it into dopamine. And that's a very important step to take place in the body because dopamine is very important for the, um, the drive, the, the, just the, the, that desire to want things and to keep it in a... In a um, a healthy balance. <clears throat> Excuse me. When when there isn't enough copper to do that, you get dopamine deficiency and that's what's behind all craving. Craving for sugar, craving for alcohol, craving for drugs, craving for gambling, you name it. Dopamine deficiency is at the center of all of that. And so that DBM enzyme is pretty darn important for the proper functioning of the body. Um, so I think there there's some very key <clears throat> mechanisms that allow the body <clears throat> to work properly, and if, and if the copper is not present, that's just not going to happen, and the, and the body begins to act, act out and begin to behave in a very untoward way. Um, the, the enzyme that I just mentioned a little bit ago, the copper zinc SOD, <clears throat> that superoxide dismutase is profoundly important inside the cell. And there's uh, a lot of research that's coming out now, most of it outside of this country by the way, that is beginning to realize that that mechanism of copper zinc SOD is if that's deficient, the cell begins to basically fall apart. And that's where a lot of metabolic dysregulation takes place, right there, with the lack of that one. Between SOD and the cytochrome C oxidase, you can bring the the cell basically to its knees. All because of a lack of, of one mineral, all because of a lack of one protein called ceruloplasm. It's kind of mind-boggling when you think about it.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I know for myself, when I started taking copper, I could not believe how much better I started feeling.
1: Yeah, and and it's just, it's, and see, the thing is, uh, like yesterday I was reading this fascinating article about um, autoimmune disease. Everyone's talking about autoimmune disease. Well, what are autoimmune diseases? Multiple sclerosis. Uh, rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's—these are all autoimmune diseases. Hashimoto's autoimmune disease, and what this particular author was suggesting is that it's caused by a lack of copper. And the way he described it was that it was very funny. Uh, he was talking about its partner, zinc, is really important for um, the immune. Function. It turns out that copper, zinc, and iron are all three very important for the immune function. But in his, in his uh, explanation, he was saying that think of zinc as sort of the mechanic repairing a car. And when the, when the mechanic starts to act out, um, the last thing you want to do is start to give the mechanic a bunch of coffee which is only going to make it more excited and start and so he'll start destroying cars at an even faster rate and and what's really needed is the copper to calm down the immune response and that's one of the roles that it plays is to help modulate that zinc that's that's become hyperbolic and i thought it was a very apt explanation for it but think of all the people who have these conditions that they think are a disease when in fact, it's just a mineral that's missing, but it happens to be a really important mineral. And like in your own case, Linda, you found out that, boy, I feel a lot better when I have some some copper. So I was reading the, further in this article, and they started to describe the copper that's available in, like, liver. And it was comparing um, beef liver to chicken liver to turkey liver, to lamb liver, to goose liver. And it was, there was an oh my God moment when I realized that <clears throat> there's a huge difference in the amount of copper that's available in, a, in, a, um, in calves liver or lamb liver or goose liver, which are very, very high, <clears throat> maybe three times higher than the daily dose versus what you would find in beef liver or chicken liver, or turkey liver. And then you look at, people talk about these copper-rich foods like avocados and um, um, cashews, and there's just a little pittance of, of copper in those products. But the real concentration is in the liver, which makes sense because that's where, that's where the liver is stored, is in, principally in the brain and the liver and the kidney of, of most animals' bodies. And uh it, it's just fascinating that we don't think about, well, there's a reason why it's stored there, because it must need it. Yeah. And for the metabolism of the brain and the kidneys and the liver to work properly, and, and we shouldn't exclude the heart, but for these major metabolic organs, they must have a constant source of energy. They must have a constant source of of. Taking away the oxidative rust that's taking place as a result of all that energy production, and and copper's working both sides of that of that process, which is it's phenomenal when you think about the role that it plays in the body. Yet it's been heralded as a demonic force from Mars. It's like it doesn't make any sense. So
0: uh, but, speaking of livers, do you recommend that people eat uh, various kinds of animal livers?
1: Yeah, I do, I do it regularly. <clears throat> I, I, you know, um, I asked the one of the world's authorities on copper. Is uh, I mentioned him earlier, Leslie Clavey. He's now retired, brilliant MD PhD who focused on copper. And I was talking with him several months ago. And I asked him. I said, "So, how do you get the proper balance of zinc, copper, and iron?" He said, "Well, there are certain foods you have to eat." I said, "Well, what would those foods be?" And he laughed. And he said, "Well," He said probably the best source is liver, because it's a perfect balance of copper, zinc, and iron. Now the challenge is finding the the right source, because you don't want to eat commercial. You know, you you're gonna want to get a grass fed animal that has been raised properly. But that's what our ancestors did. There's not one person who's listening to this that doesn't Know of either their <clears throat> parents or their grandparents that ate liver at least once a week mm-hmm. there's a reason why they did that because our ancestors knew that those animal um, organ meats were very rich in minerals and played a very important role in supporting our metabolism and and if I'm offending the the people who are vegetarian or vegan, forgive me but there's a, there's a rich legacy of, of research you know, via Weston A. Price and others who pretty much established that we are dependent on these animal sources of protein, animal sources of oils and, and fatty acids. Uh, and they're also, what I've come to, to realize, I can't prove it, but I, I have this theory now, Wendy, that I think the copper that you get out of a liver – is completely different than the copper you get out of an avocado. Mm. And I think the copper in that liver is already bound. It isn't as problematic as the copper in that vegetable that doesn't have the ceruloplasm. It can't because it's not an animal. And only an animal would have the ceruloplasm molecule.
0: Yeah, I mean, the same, it can be said for iron, you know, that there's non-heme iron in plants that is not as bioavailable, and the heme iron in red meat that is immediately usable by our body because it's in the correct form.
1: Right, and just, now that you brought that up, just so that folks understand, you cannot make heme without copper. It's impossible. And so iron gets all the, the notoriety, but the heme molecule is absolutely dependent on copper for its production. Not an insignificant thing to know.
0: Yeah,
1: and the, and the level of confusion uh, about the, the copper iron issue is staggering, particularly in the in the allopathic community. They they have it completely backwards. And, and the word that I am now coining to talk about allopaths is the the that you get at, at Starbucks. It's called affogato, that means backwards in Italian. And they've got it completely backwards. They're totally affogato about copper and iron.
0: Yeah, well, let's talk about that. This is one of the tests that uh, reveal copper deficiency is testing ferritin levels. So let's let's talk about that and and any other tests that that you like to perform with your clients to reveal copper deficiency.
1: Well, the, the easiest test to at least get a glimpse of what's going on certainly is the hair test. And in um, many situations, the majority of situations, people will have low copper. Occasionally you'll find people with super high copper, uh, which is clearly an indication of of a toxic situation. But um, even with the low copper, you can pretty much bet that there's uh, copper being stored in the liver. So what, what I've done, and I think other practitioners like yourself are beginning to do, is do blood testing to further validate what in fact is taking place and that's where we begin to get into what is the magnesium status so we get a sense of where is their stress level. Mm-hmm. So a RBC will be very indicative of what's the inverse of that as it relates to ACTH. Um, look at the zinc, the plasma zinc and the serum copper uh, to see what the dynamic is between those two minerals look at the serum ceruloplasm to see how well they're producing it, I would say easily two-thirds of the clients that I've tested have low ceruloplasm, and almost every one of those is a result of hyper-supplementation with vitamin D. Yeah, Pretty striking. And then the other side that you just alluded to is on the iron side, to begin to look at the ferritin, um, Molecule or the protein. It's a storage protein for iron, but it's copper dependent, as are all of the other iron proteins like ferroportin and transferrin and hephaestin. And um, I'm, I'm forgetting a couple of them, but even the iron hormone, hepcidin, is copper dependent. And that's the part that doctors don't understand is that these. Proteins require copper in order to function properly, and that's one of the quirks of the of the human body. So, anyone who has low ferritin, I would strongly encourage that they get a serum iron and a percent saturation, which is going to be looking at the at the transferrin um, to find out what their overall iron status is. Because very often, what will happen is people will have normal iron, normal transferrin, which will show up as normal percent saturation, and they'll have low ferritin. And then the doctor will say, oh, well, you need to be taking iron supplements, which will then shut down the copper metabolism. What, what is far more effective, and actually metabolically correct, is the person's, that's an indication that they are copper deficient, and that what they really need is whole food vitamin C. And that vitamin C molecule will help to stimulate the absorption of iron and, and allow the proper restoration of the ferritin uh, as a storage protein.
0: So just to be clear, listeners out there, if you have low ferritin, that's a likely sign of copper deficiency.
1: Yeah, which is exactly, I mean, who who connects those dots? So just just to have some fun with it, if, you know, if folks wanted to um, become farmers of an orange grove to make oranges, what they'd have to do is make sure that there's a lot of iron in the soil for those citrus trees. You think, okay, so why is that important? Well, the iron in the soil is what allows the citrus tree to make oranges that have vitamin C in them. And it's actually the iron in the soil that allows the copper to get inside the vitamin C molecule that's inside the oranges. You think, okay, well, that's pretty cool. So now let's eat the orange. So we eat the orange. It's got the vitamin C molecule. And what happens? That vitamin C molecule goes into the intestine and it's greeted by a protein called Hephaestin. And Hephaestin is the protein in the duodenum that, in fact, takes the iron out of the food. But what activates the Hephaestin is actually the copper in the vitamin C. And so then that Hephaestin, which once it's activated by the vitamin C molecule, carries the um, iron to transferrin, and then the transferrin carries it to ferritin, and all those handoffs are made possible because of the copper ion that was in that vitamin C, which was in that orange. And that's the beauty of the iron-copper metabolism and how interdependent they are from the soil into the soil of our body, called our intestine.
0: Now, I love these explanations that you have. I, I love talking to you so much, Marley, because you always break things down. So, so you know, difficult subjects in a really simple way that helps people to understand the concepts.
1: Well, I do it because that's the way I need to understand. I, I don't understand it. If I read it in a scientific article, it drives me crazy. And that's like, I've got to break it down so I can understand it. And I figure if I can understand it, well, maybe others can understand it.
0: Yeah. So... <laughs> And so, and so, another test that can reveal copper deficiency is histamine levels. So, oh, can you talk a little bit about histamine levels and what someone yeah. is going to be looking for on their test to show that they're deficient in copper?
1: Yeah, good good point. Um, histamine is a critical molecule. It's designed to protect us from our environment. It's a very natural. It plays a very key regulatory role. But when it gets out of control, that's when it becomes a problem. And the term that's used now is called histamine intolerance. Well, it's fascinating that the histamines are stored inside cells called mast cells. Well, mast cell production increases when people are under stress. Actually, the trigger is magnesium deficiency leads to an increase in mast cells. And what's a known fact is that people who are magnesium deficient are more sensitive, more sensitive to their environment. Well, that that greater sensitivity is translated into more mast cells so that when exposed to foods or chemicals that either have high histamines or trigger a histamine response, there's this, this incredible explosion of histamines in the body. Well, the body also has enzymes to break down the histamines. They're, they're called That's, you know We've heard that term probably since we were little. Well, the two enzymes are DAO, diamine oxidase, and HNMT, histamine and methyltransferase. So it turns out that DAO works on histamines outside the cell, and HNMT works on histamines inside the cell. Well, they, both of those enzymes require three nutrients to work properly. They require copper, magnesium, and vitamin B6. Ding, ding, ding. And what what happens when people are under stress? What do they lose? They lose magnesium, B vitamins, and the copper goes rogue. And so they lose the, the very nutrients that they need to make those enzymes work to control the histamine response. And what happens is uh, people can be on both sides of that histamine issue. They can be in a very, their, their histamine levels can be really low because of too much copper in their body, or those histamines can be really, really high because of copper deficiency. And the the individual who really did the the breakthrough work on this was Carl Pfeiffer. He was a uh, MD, PhD. Um, I believe he was a psychiatrist. Did a lot of his work at a a center in um, Princeton, New Jersey. And he coined the phrase histopenia and histodelia. I think is the other term for, for the high. Histopenia is low histamine and histodelia is high histamine. And it, what he was able to do was link the histamine level to whether someone had tendencies towards schizophrenia or depression. And it's absolutely fascinating. And if your histamine, your blood histamine levels are below 40, you have very low histamine, which means you have excess copper. And if your histamine level is above 70, means you have, uh, excess histamines from too little copper. And those are the flip sides of the, of the histamine coin. But the, but the key is that what's missing are copper, magnesium, and B6 that is causing a complete disruption of the histamine response. And there's a wonderful article. Uh, it's in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition. Uh, author's name is, is Mance, M-A-I-N-T-Z, I think it's from 2008. It's called Histamine and Histamine Intolerance. You can Google it and it'll come up. The full article will come up. And I would encourage the, the, the listeners to study figure one in that article and their jaw will drop when they realize that histamine intolerance is behind this wide spectrum of chronic disease that they had no idea heart disease, and neurotransmitter issues, and gut dysbiosis, and all of the allergies and stuff that we would expect. But so many other chronic conditions are from a histamine issue, and there are four uh, histamine receptors, H1, 2, 3, and 4, and when those receptors get get, uh, affected by this, which they do, that that is very disruptive, uh, and it's... um, very problematic for people to have a normal metabolism when they're not able to break down the histamines properly.
0: Yeah. And I think I found this really, really interesting when I first started studying hair mineral analysis and adrenal fatigue, et cetera, that adrenal fatigue, you know, causes the copper dysregulation and that will, that causes, uh, you know, high histamines and food sensitivities and multiple chemical sensitivity. And as people are on a healing program, like we do, uh, Using hair mineral analysis and uh, balancing of the minerals and healing of the adrenal glands, uh, people's food sensitivities and allergies go away uh, fairly. You know, within the first year, many of my, of my clients who have really severe food allergies and food sensitivities and histamine intolerance, they just slowly but surely disappear once right. they fix these copper issues and related adrenal fatigue issues, etc.
1: Yeah, once you restore the mineral status uh, and the vitamins that are that are very much a part of it, uh, you would absolutely expect the body would go back to normal regulation. I mean, this this whole idea that there's such a thing as medical disease is just, it's so laughable. I mean, there, there really isn't. I, I, I refuse to believe that there is such a thing as medical disease. There's a lot of, you know, metabolic dysfunction, and all of that's caused by mineral deficiencies, but this notion that there's a disease, I mean, this whole idea that there's um, the, the germ theory. I mean, Pasteur was a fraud. And, and the, the, the New York Times had a, an amazing article about it. I think it was in 2008, something like 2008, 2010 timeframe, where a medical historian took all 10,000 pages of Pasteur's work and realized that he was a fraud. And that's what the headline was in the New York Times. Pasteur was a fraud. Well. But yet everyone has this conviction that, oh, well, I don't wanna get a I don't wanna catch the flu. You don't catch the flu. You allow the flu because your mineral imbalance is such that you don't have the proper mineral composition to ward or to to create a proper immune response. But yet people have been so conditioned that disease comes from outside and it's it's very um, it's it's very sad that people have become so programmed the way they have.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I think that the more I learn about the true underlying cause of disease is just nutritional nutrition, uh, nutrition uh, deficiencies and heavy metal and chemical toxicities, and that you can reverse these and you can reverse disease. And I see it every day in my practice. It's unbelievable.
1: Yeah. No. Absolutely. Uh, totally. I totally agree. And, it's, and I would not have believed it because, you know, I was raised in a very allopathic family. My sister's a nurse um, and worked in the industry for a long time. And I worshipped at that altar. And now I, now with what I know, I'm like, oh, my gosh. I mean, this, this infrastructure, this medical industrial complex is mind-boggling.
0: It's a scam. It's a good compl- it it's a scam. It's a
1: total, a total scam. Yeah. And that's why that's why I tell clients that the doctor that they go to has an MD. Well that degree stands for mineral denialist. And they just they refuse to believe anything that we you and I have been talking about for the last uh sixty minutes. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think, you know, if I get in a car wreck, you know, I want to go to a hospital if I have some right. sort of acute injury. Um, if, I ha- if I do, God forbid, get cancer or something, I want to go to a doctor to get diagnosed, not treated. Um, but I think medicine is very good at diagnosis. But healing disease, not going to happen. Um, they they no. manage diseases with medication. And I think it's last, last surgery, meds, last, last, last resort after you've spent years using natural means to address your health issues.
1: Well, that's, that's the other thing that the MD degree stands for. a managed disease. They don't cure it. They just manage it Mm -hmm. because that's where their cash flow comes from by managing the disease. Pretty straightforward.
0: Well, that is the end of part one of copper Regulation with Morley Robbins. The podcast was two hours long. So sorry if I burst your bubble there, I cut it off right in the middle, but we're going to continue next week with part two of Copper Dysregulation with Morley Robbins. If you want to learn how to heal copper dysregulation, how to address copper dysregulation, and all the issues that we discussed today on the show, definitely want to check out my program called Mineral Power at mineralpower.com. It's a comprehensive healing program using proper diet, proper supplementation, customized to your body chemistry, lifestyle changes, and detoxification that's a very very important component missing in many people's health regimes and this is a program that i've used to help regulate my copper that i use with my clients to help regulate copper so i definitely urge you to go take a look at it and listeners thank you so much for taking this hour out to listen to the podcast i really appreciate your support so much i have so much fun doing the shows and i would have so appreciate it if you take just 2 seconds out of your time if you enjoyed what you heard today to leave me a review and rating in iTunes that helps me get up in that search engine so that I can spread my message on health to more and more people. Thank you so much for listening to the Live to 110 podcast.